Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from Pastor Micah Shepline. We love when he comes and visits. So make sure you give this podcast a listen. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com and we'll see you next week. Amen. So here's the deal, a little update, right? I am Micah. I'm actually a planning pastor that was sent out of here into Phoenix, Arizona with my wife. So sad day. This will actually be our last time here until probably July as we're really starting to buckle down for a launch in September. So we just want to encourage you guys to continue to pray for us, uh, to continue to believe for us. And here's the deal. We actually launched all of our website and social media stuff this week. So if you want to follow along with some of our journey, I know a lot of you guys are on our email list that goes out our newsletter. But if that's something you're interested, Fix 8 Phoenix is the name of our church, F-I-X-A-T-E. .phx on Instagram or Facebook or our websites up or YouTube or whatever it is. So follow along with our journey. We're excited to kind of see where the Lord takes us. And I'm going to say this, I'm uh, becoming more and more um, grateful for people who really, and I think this is what's always been a mark of this church, is it's not, there's no like transactional relationships here. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times uh, what happens is, is we, we, Look for people who, we, who, you know, can do things for us or produce or this or that. And I can say this about this church is we just love people and we just want people to succeed. And so whether you're serving or attending here, I know for me, even as I've been out there trying to kind of connect with people or churches and pastors and things, it's so easy sometimes to forget how much um, acceptance and how much uh, love really is in this place for really everybody. And so that's something that even as Pastor Mike and Pastor Jill have modeled, we just so appreciate that. But I'm going to tell you this, you're in the right place today. And I'm going to say this, you're in the right place for the future. If you want to follow God, this is an incredible church, not only to do it, but to do it and follow incredible leaders. So with that, I'm going to go right off the back of that. We've been talking about the proving ground. Um, Pastor Mike just kicked off a series on it, and I'm going to actually piggyback off of that today. Is that okay with you? Once again, rhetorical. Yes. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I'm going to change the title and the entire sermon just because you said no. Just kidding. Um, So... We're going to be talking about the proving ground and specifically something that has been in my heart recently. Um, And I'll say this in light of where we are right now as a country and in the world is endurance. And so what we're going to talk about is in the proving ground is endurance. And what's funny is, is like, I feel like if we think back to 2009 or 2000 or whenever, right? I think it's just been so interesting that I feel like a lot of the times our thought process has been like, okay, if we can just get past this as a nation or, or as the church or whatever, and then all of a sudden there's something else, and then whether it was COVID and then COVID again and then COVID-14 variants later, or whether it was, it was politics or now it's the, this Russian-Ukraine thing, whatever it is, I, I really believe that a lot of the times we as Christians, we're very ad, ad, uh, adversive to uh, endurance. And what I mean by that is endurance in the face, like having faith in the face of trial. That's really what I want to talk about because really I think a lot of us like when, when it comes to following God, like it's easy to raise the hands when the song is hitting, but it's a whole nother thing to show up to church when you had a terrible week, your kids are acting reckless, and you don't want nothing to do with Jesus because you, you had a rough one. 
And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times, and this is what's even sad in the church today, is I'm going to be a thousand percent honest. I, I've worked here close to 10 years at this church before we moved. And, and what was crazy is, is we would have people come and there would just be a reckless moment where they encountered the love of God. Raise our hands, say, God, I want you to lead my life. God, I want your direction. God, I want everything of you. And then the enemy would be like, oh, cool, you want to choose Jesus? Well, I'm going to throw literally the kitchen sink at you. Like, I am going to give, I am going to go full force, attack your family, attack your finances, attack your work. I'm going to attack everything because I sure as heck don't want you going toward God. And then what happens is, is we think choosing Jesus makes things easier. No, it makes things worth it. And what I want to say about that is I think a lot of the times, even when we talk about endurance, like no offense, endurance, even the word kind of a little bit like, it, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, do we want to have endurance? Yeah, but do we want to run 12 miles to get it? Absolutely not. No offense. I like have a love-hate relationship with, with running because I ran track in middle school and I'm going to tell a story about it. And it was funny because I remember coming, I remember looking at my friends after track practice and being like, do people enjoy this? Like genuinely people enjoy running. Anybody who says yes is a liar. <laughs> so here's, this is, I'm going to tell you how much I didn't enjoy running. Okay. I realized early on, I've always had an analytical mind, which I assess the risks and rewards of everything. So when I went out for track in middle school, what I observed is I could run short distance and I could run long distance. I was fast enough to do both. So what I did is I studied the practice behaviors of short and long distance runners. Short distance runners would have to run sprints. Long distance runners at that time, which the coaches aren't there anymore, so you can't, if your kids go to Upton, you know, whatever. But the, the coaches, what the long distance was do is there was a loop that went outside the track, went through the woods, and they'd look at you and say, go run for 30 minutes. And I looked at him, and, and I was like, okay, would I rather run sprints in front of coaches or run 25 minutes through the woods? <laughs> and here's the science me and my buddies had down. We, in gym class during the day, I don't know why they did this, but we had tennis during gym class. And so during spring, they always would have tennis for some reason. And so we would bomb tennis balls into the woods outside the fence during track practice, we'd act like we were going to do our long-distance run, grab our tennis balls that we bombed out from gym class, climb in the trees, and then peg all the distance runners that ran in the woods. <laughs> because here's the deal, right? How many of you guys know? In, like, like, literally, it was like making fun of the people who were trying. <laughs> and, and once again, getting back to the place of like, it, it's so funny to me looking back on it because essentially I was like, why would I want to build endurance and actually try hard when I could just grab tennis balls, climb trees, and throw them at my friends? How many of you guys know? Uh, some of us understand that race thing. We're like, man, that actually does sound like I would join track for that. It's like literally you pass a kid in the hall that gave you the wrong look. You're like, we'll see you at track today, boy. I got like 16 friends. We got 46 balls, all of them coming at you. That was like before paintball was popular. It was tennis balls at track practice. But what, I, what I'm saying, though, is once again, let's get back to the place of endurance, right? Is it was funny because I literally looked for the easiest way to be a part. What's the easiest way that I could practice 
and be identified as being on this team without putting forth any effort. Hoo-hoo. We're going to preach a little early today. And, and in all honesty, I feel like a lot of, I've read, I read a really, really good book. It's called The Next Christians. It's by a guy uh, by the name of Gabe Lyons. And it's an incredible book that really uses like statistics and, and the studying of kind of what's going on in the church body as a whole. And literally he said the largest denomination of Christianity today is actually not a denomination. He classifies it as, as inactive believers. And it's over 70% of believers, he says, don't give, they don't serve, and they go to church once a month, but they are saved. And essentially, and I'm not trying to get right at this, but I'm going to say this, is if our commitment level is bare minimum, our endurance level is underneath that. The moment that we hit trouble, the moment we hit trial, the easiest thing and the first thing we're going to do is blame God. And that's what's sad is that we profess to follow God and then the very first time, the very first time tough things happen, we blame God. Didn't we know we're following his example? If the worst thing happened to the best person, we might have to go through some stuff. I mean, literally the worst possible death in his day and time he went through. And yet when we choose him, we think we're not going to have to suffer or go through anything. That's not how it works. Once again, it's not about easy. It's about making your life worth it. And so what I want to do is I want to read, actually, because all of this came from two passages of Scripture, but specifically one of my favorite books in the Bible, and you should read it if you're wanting kind of more um, information on on, uh, endurance and things, is in James 1, verse 4, it says this, And let endurance have its perfect result. Like, no offense, you don't find any other wording like this in the Bible. A perfect result. Like, I'm I'm a golfer, and I live in Phoenix now. If you came up to me and said, you can play a perfect round, I would would literally sell my house for that. (laughs) Some of you guys think I'm kidding. It's not an idol. I repent. That was a joke. Anyway. What, what I'm saying, though, is if I looked at you and said you could have perfect results in your life, what is it that you want to attach perfect results to? I hope it's things that matter, not golf, you know, your marriage, your kids, your calling, right? Like, I, I hope this is the things we'd want to... So here's the deal. If I looked at you and said you can have a perfect result if you let endurance have its work in you, how many of us go, we want the perfect ex- result, but we don't want the endurance to have its work? Like, I would much rather sit in the trees with the tennis balls than I would run sprints in front of my coaches. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like, I I literally stopped the verse halfway through and it got even better. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like, no offense if I, like, walked up here and the very first thing I said today is, I can offer you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you want it? Like, nobody's going to be like, no, right? I want bad, incomplete, and to lack a lot. (laughs) Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Endurance. James 1.12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. It's like, God, I want your blessings. God's like, can you persevere under trial? I'd rather have blessing. (laughs) 
Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Jesus' words, this one's even better. Luke 21, 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. And in this particular setting, he's literally like coaching up his disciples. This is in Luke um, 21, verse 19. Is in this particular instance, he's literally coaching his disciples for the end times. And he's essentially saying, hey, guys, guess what? You're going to not just go through things, but there's going to be some difficult things you're going to have to wade through. And in, and in some regard, he literally looks at his disciples and he says, you guys all want to live like we? Well, most of you guys are going to die like me. There's only going to be a few of you who are going to make this thing out alive and who are going to do it and not be some type of gruesome death. But don't worry, guys, right? Luke 21, 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. 1 Peter 5, 10, and after you have suffered a little while. How many of you guys know, right? Can I get an amen for some suffering? <laughs> After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself, listen to this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. What if every time we face suffering, we thought, we stood on that verse, God, I know you're going to restore, I know you're going to confirm, I know you're going to strengthen, and I know you're going to establish. I know I might be suffering for a little while. It's like, I much rather would have liked if you changed the wording to like a little tiny bit. Like God's concept of time does not fit humankind's concept of time. So when he says a little while, like it's easy to be like, God, you, uh, can we trim the edges of that little while? Can we shave off a few years maybe of that little while? But if we stood on the passage of if, we're suffer if you're suffering right now, I just want you to stand on that passage. That God's wanting to confirm, he's wanting to restore, he's wanting to strengthen, and he's wanting to establish. Because once again, I think the reason we blame God a lot of the times for suffering is because we don't understand correctly what the Bible actually says about it. It says 100% you're going to go through it, but it also says God's going to be with you in it. And not only is he going to be with you in it, but he'll turn out better for your good. I spent the last month just researching and digesting the book of Job as I've really, there's been a friend of mine I've been walking through uh, with who's been going through a very difficult time. And I remember going through the book of Job and I just could not imagine, right? If you, if you want any imagery, literally in one day, the guy loses everything. He loses his house. He loses his kids. He loses his wealth. He loses his servants. And it says that, that it attacks the 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 enemy attacks his physical bodies to where boils break out all over his body. The only relief he can get, and this is actually what it says, is to break clay pots and scrape his skin with the shards of clay. That was the only relief he could get. And God didn't speak a word to him in it. His friends come around, and actually I feel like there's a, a message in here that I might work on later. A, guy, a, a, a younger guy by the name of Elihu comes around, and God, God just lets him sit in it. But if you just skip over the 40-something chapters of Job, and you just go to the last chapter, he restored all of his children. He doubled everything that had been taken. And it says that Job lived a long and fruitful life, seeing generations of his family. But I'm going to tell you this. 
the suffering a little while, it actually is estimated that Joe's suffering was about five to seven months. So think about this, right? Five to seven months in the context of restoring, confirming, strengthening, and establishing. Some of us were looking and saying, I haven't just been struggling for five to seven months. I've been dealing with something for years. You can still stand on this passage. And some of you guys might be like, well, this seems a little insensitive, Micah, because in all honesty, right, you don't know what I've went through. You're right, but I can tell you this. God went through some things. Peter went through some things. The writers of the scriptures, they went through some things, and the authority that they write with was not authority that they just purchased hypocritically. Like, oh, let's just, this sounds good to preach. No, they genuinely lived it. So for Peter to write, you're going to suffer for a little while, but God's going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish, that's a promise that you can stand on. You know, I'm going to take this a step further. Some of you guys, um, I was talking about uh, something strategically I've been doing in Scripture. It's just um, the highlighting of verbs, specifically because verbs in the biblical language a lot of the times have word pictures attached to them. Uh, Just because of how uh, the society was essentially set up is a lot of the times like reading and writing were not like this prevalent thing so a lot of the times the communicative style was to allow imagery to kind of when you spoke to give imagery to what people's imaginations could do so I've really been challenged in some of these so endurance that word I'm just going to read is a uh, uh, is a Greek word hupomene and I'm just going to read the definition based off of Strong's Concordance. And its, its definition is steadfastness, consistency. I love that. Endurance is not just like, oh, we wake up one day and like we practice a little endurance and then like we take three weeks off. It's steadfastness, consistency, and the ability to endure. It is the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. It is to patiently and steadfastly hold on. It is a patient, steadfast waiting for, a patient, enduring, sustaining perseverance. I love the imagery. It's a man who unswervingly holds on. In the face of all that's going on, he stays loyal to his faith and his piety. Once again, Right, I just believe so often it's just so much easier to not have endurance than to practice and cultivate and develop it. So what I wanted to do, but I'm, I, I kind of have been jumping around in James and in First Peter and, and a little bit in Luke, but actually this entire passage, everything that we're talking about came from one revelation I had my, in my room about three weeks ago. And what's funny is, I'm going to be honest, I love reading, I love reading the Bible, did not start like that. If you'd have told me, when I graduated high school, that I would be just that I would just be reading books in the Bible. No way! Like I was the definition of Spark Notes. Anybody remember that? No. It's like I remember when I was in high school. Like Spark Notes came out. And, like the teachers like you can't Spark Note it because we're gonna we know what the Spark Note says. And it's like I'm still Spark Noting, <laughs> which is essentially it was a two page synopsis of the entire book. Or it's like you know you just talk to six friends and like all right regurgitate it for me. Like, what was the book about? And, but a few weeks ago, I'm sitting in my office, and, and I've read the Gospels a lot, and I've spent a ton of time in my Word, but this is the first time I ever noticed this, and it was a profound moment for me. 
And it's, a, it's the story of the temptations that Jesus goes through. But once again, we're going to unpack it a little bit differently today because I think it, this, this context is powerful. In Luke 4, verse 1, and I've heard this preached before, right? It says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Right? Now, many of you guys, right, when we read this, I want to just add context as it pertains to endurance and kind of talking about suffering, right? It says he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is essentially where he's going to be tempted by Satan. Why would somebody full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, be taken to a place directly to meet the devil, (laughs) Like, I rebu- like, if I looked at you as like, hey, you full of the Spirit, you led by the Spirit. All right, we got the devil at the end of the parking lot. Let's get this thing going. Right? You guys, and people be like, what is it? Who is this dude? Right? So we see that essentially you can be full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit and still encounter the enemy. And not still, you're going to. Now, if you know anything, I'm not going to go over the temptations, but essentially the, de- the devil tempts him three times. The first one is he wants him to turn a stone into bread, which in my opinion is a temptation on provision. Like, is God, like you can provide for yourself. Why do you even need God? Right, which I think is very relevant to today. The second one is bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. And essentially it's authority, recognition, and glory that the enemy is trying to get him to, to kind of tap into that fleshly side. So the first one is provision. I'm going to tempt you with provision. And then I'm going to tempt you with authority and recognition and glory. And then the last one is God's ability to protect and to keep you. Cast yourself off of the temple and see if he saves you. But this is what I want to focus on specifically. Luke 4, 13 to 15. Once again, I, I remember and I, I talked to my wife about this after. I got goosebumps when I read this because I wrote it in my journal and I'll never forget it. Luke 4, 13 to 15, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. I'm going to frame this really quickly. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's full and he's led. He comes out of the wilderness and he has power. What's the difference? He overcame. See, a lot of us, man, we're all about being full and led, but we're, God wants us to overcome some things so that he can entrust his power to us. And the last thing we want to do is overcome. The last thing we want to do is face the enemy head on and trust God and beat him. The last thing we want to do is address our weaknesses, address our failures, address our temptations, address our brokenness. And the enemy's just beating us every time, and God's saying, if you can overcome that, Right, we can take you from being full and being led to possessing power. And I'm not saying that you're not going to possess power if you, if you don't go through things, but I'm going to say this, is that the magnitude of what God entrusts to his people is directly to related to what his people have overcome. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the times we want the promises of God with any, without any of the sacrifice needed to see those, those promises come to pass. If we can't even remember the last time that we sacrificed something spiritually, chances are we're not walking in any power. And I'm not trying to be like super direct, but I am speaking to the fact that literally Jesus left full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. How many of you guys know that sounds like a great life? But it's not a good life if it doesn't possess the power of the Spirit. 
And what I mean by that is I believe that God has a transformative power right now in this room for you if you're willing to build your endurance in adversity and persevere and overcome. Jesus' ministry had not started before this point. He had not done any miracles. All he'd done has been baptized by John. After this, it starts. But what was the foundation of the starting of Jesus' ministry? A baptism and trial. And once again, like I said, I, I don't want to get too direct, but man, to, in today's day and age, there's a lot of people who are full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit, but the people who possess the power of the Spirit are the ones who have overcame with just God's strength, and you know it by how they talk, how they carry themselves, and how they live their life. You can look and say they possess the power, and it's because they have walked through things. And really, and in some cases, they've limped. In some cases, they've just drugged themselves. And in other cases, God just straight up carried them. But they've gone through it. And they've received power for it. And I want to challenge us today. I think the greatest place we could live is full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and in the power of the Spirit. But once again, that last point, the power, man, that comes through the pain. And that comes through the sacrifice. And that comes through the seasons of uncertainty, but believing. And the pain in the midst of what you're dealing with currently that nobody knows about. And the brokenness that you possess, but you trust that God's got a plan. Father, I'm going to stand today, right now, on your ability to restore, your ability to confirm, your ability to strengthen, and your ability to establish. See, when we talk about endurance, we're talking about power, and if you have it or not. Because what endurance truly is is a commitment to run. And not sprint, not walk, but have pace with Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about the three things endurance is built on. Three things in closing endurance is built on. The first one, it's built on practice, right? You cannot be, have endurance if you don't practice developing it. And I am a case in point. I hate running. I tried running a little bit ago, and you better believe I just found other ways to, build, to do cardio because I am not going to run on a treadmill or outside. I am not doing it. <laughs> More power to you guys who have that endurance. I want to challenge you. We need to have consistency doing the things that build our stamina. And I'm going to take this a step further. Some of us we have no concept of practicing or what to do in practice. And I want to take it a step further. We need to have people coaching us who have won and have proven endurance that can help us. I'm going to be honest. This is what's sad today is like, we're like, yeah, I want to practice following God, but we won't put anybody around us and we won't get in any environments where people can coach us to practice better so our endurance is stronger, so our race can last. Three things, right? Endurance is built on, is practice. If you can't remember the last time you've read your Bible, that's kind of a big deal. There's a Bible reading plan we have here on our website, and there's different prompts for it later we can give you. But if you can't even remember the last time you've read your Bible, huge deal. If the only sign of your spiritual heartbeat is that you attended church once, that's, that's a big deal. 
We need to sign up to practicing the practicals, a life of prayer, a life of service, being generous, being somebody who's in their word. These are things that when we practice them, endurance goes up. You know what's funny is I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. Uh, I feel like with me, I look back on my life and the things that used to rattle my cage. And I can directly relate my pain threshold in life currently with how much I'm in the word and how much I'm spending time with the Lord. If I'm not getting as much as I need to, the things that don't matter start to matter. If I'm getting the time that I know I need for my soul, which is a number that I know personally and I know I have to get every single week. When I hit that place and I know where I'm at, the stuff going on, it, uh, it's, the minor stuff is truly minor. But when things are not right in your spiritual life, everything minor feels major. But when you understand that God fights for you, God's got your back, he wants to restore, establish. Right, remember that first Peter passage? The second thing, pace. Who you run with and who pushes you, not how fast you run. In the beginning, I'm going to say this. Pace is learned in the beginning by running with people who have pace. And the first instance I talked about coaching, the second I talked about pace because I believe a lot of the time, see, if you've never had pace in your life, you need to get around people who have had pace in their life so that you can run a little bit with them. And you don't got to be right next to them, but you need to be just maybe a little bit behind them to where you can learn what pace looks like. And I'm going to say this, I feel like a lot of the times in the church today, it's I run hard for God for two years and then I take three years off because of life circumstances, things that happen, the job, the kids, the transition, the move, whatever it is, we're out of sorts, we're out of rhythm, and then we come back and we're like, all right, God, I'm ready to run with pace again, and we practice the same bad behaviors. We're going to do two years of all in, and then all of a sudden I don't have the pace to maintain. God wants to walk with you all the days of your life. And that comes back to a pace that will allow you to walk with him all the days of your life. And the last one is your fuel. Practice pace and fuel. It's your diet. What are you putting in and who slash what is your motivation? See, there's a physical diet that allows you to maintain, but we're talking about your spiritual diet, what's going into your life that allows your pace and your practice to maintain consistency. Because if you're structuring your life around everything else, and then God's just getting the leftovers, your, your diet is not conducive to growth, and it's not conducive to endurance that can get you through things. And what I'm saying is this, I want to challenge you on the things that you're putting into your life. Some of us, I, I just read an incredible book, um, and in it specifically, it actually attributed uh, just the amount of screen time people get to exactly, I, I, I'm just going to get as raw as I can get. It attributed screen time to anxiety, depression, and sexual confusion. Essentially, the higher levels that you possessed of screen time, the higher propensity uh, percentage-wise, and this was specifically talking about the generations coming up that will deal with anxiety, depression, and sexual confusion. How crazy is that, right? Because what's happening, the diet is dictating the development. Whew, that's a good one right there. See, some of us, we want all the development with none of the diet, 
and we're eating Twinkies trying to compete in weightlifting competitions. Man, I, that was a good word. I'm not even going to lie. And that was not in my notes. <laughs> your diet dictates your development. Your development cannot dictate your diet because your diet has to be the foundation of how you develop. Today, can we be people who, as we sit here, and we look at Jesus' life, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. But man, when he went through things, he got the power of the Spirit. Can we look at James? Can we look at 1 Peter? Can we look at Luke? By your endurance, you'll gain your lives. And can we look today and evaluate our practice, our pace, and our fuel? Let's all stand to our feet. Father, I thank you for this church, Road to Life, and every person that's here. God, I pray that there's a reason people are in this room. God, that I pray right now that there's almost a revelation that like, this isn't just like another Sunday or part of the weekly routine, but this is a moment where our lives change into greater images of you. God, I pray that this is a time of reevaluation, of reprioritization, God, that this is a time of refinement where we're looking and saying, God, I wanna be able to endure I want to be full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, but I want to walk in the power of the Spirit. Father, I pray today, God, that those who are having those moments, God, that they're evaluating in this moment practice, pace, and diet. Evaluating, can I sustainably run with God? Because God wants to sustainably run with you, but that's going to be your choice. Today, Father, you have our yes. God, I pray that this would be a church known for its endurance. We thank you.